You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. This is Ashley Adams, your host for the hour. And we have quite an hour planned for you. Our first guest is going to be Ed Ellers. He is a professor of law at Temple University who is an expert on the gaming industry. Uh, He's been with it a long time. He was one of the people that first brought riverboat gambling to the United States and uh, has been involved in it in one way or another ever since and is uh, because of his location in Philadelphia going to talk to us about what's going on, especially in the New Jersey, Delaware and Pennsylvania area, as well as nationally. And then we have the extraordinary Tom McAvoy, World Series of Poker main event champion, recent Poker Hall of Fame inductee, and we are going to be talking to him. So stay tuned. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, this is Dave from House of Cards. You know, I love fantasy football, and when I decided to check out these new weekly leagues, I chose FanDuel.com, the leader in one-week fantasy football leagues for real money. FanDuel has more players and pays out more cash than all the other one-week fantasy sites combined. No season-long commitment, no upfront fees. You draft a whole new team each week. And now when you sign up today using the code HOC, they'll even match your first deposit dollar for dollar up to $200. FanDuel is paying out more than $400 million this year, but you have to play to win, so sign up and draft the team today. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner using my code HOC. The first 50 people that sign up today using my code HOC will get their first deposit match dollar for dollar up to $200. That's up to $200 free. FanDuel.com, where every week is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. Make your game night the envy of all your friends and family. Play on a -a one-of-a-kind table. Play on a pro-caliber poker table. Pro-caliber tables are made with high-quality gaming suede and suited speed cloths. And with their Table Builder app, customers can create a table to accommodate any game. Select one of the in-stock designs from their site or imprint your own. And now you can get a free 600-count coin inlay chipset when you purchase a pro-caliber poker table. Here's how. Use offer code HOC Radio when you check out at ProCaliberPoker.com or when ordering by phone at 240-25-POKER. That's 240-257-6537. Remember, to get your free gift when ordering your poker table, use offer code HOC Radio. That's H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O. Order by phone at 240-257-6537 or online at ProCaliberPoker.com. ProCaliber Poker Tables. Stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own, the Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players. Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour, finally a poker tour designed for poker players. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. 
Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. This This is is the House of Cards. This is your poker education. Let's play some cards. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We have a great guest coming up, somebody who is an expert on casino gaming, casino casino law, and who teaches law at the university, Temple University. His name is Ed Ellers. He's a professor of law of Temple University. Welcome, Ed. Hi, Ashley. Good to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. I, um, I read your bio. We spoke briefly off the air. Why don't you give our listeners, just a thumbnail sketch of your background in the casino industry so they know that you know of what you speak. Well, we, uh, uh, my, my partner and I, uh, together with IGT, who was our joint venture partner, uh, opened the first boats on the Mississippi River in Davenport, Iowa in 1992. Uh, so we started an industry there uh, with no competition. And then as boats came on in other states, we had to fend off the competition from other states and went through all these saturation, uh, stabilization issues that are going on now in uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and other jurisdictions. So uh, uh, somewhat familiar with uh, the industry, being the CEO of, uh, of that company, and uh, having lived through some of the same issues that are going on now. Okay. Well, from your vantage point of an ivory tower in Philadelphia, Temple University, where my daughter went to undergraduate school of graduated a couple of years ago. What do you make? Just give us your overview of what's happening in the gaming world, especially in New Jersey, Atlantic City, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. What's your take? Well, my take is that we're going through a period of, of external growth, meaning that the industry itself is growing. However, internally in each of the different states, you've got tremendous uh, internal competition, meaning as each state comes on, puts competition on the other state and cannibalizes business or takes business away from that state. So while the overall industry is growing and the number of people going to the casinos is growing, the uh, number of casinos is also growing. So competition is getting intense, and uh, it's a period of, uh, of, of stabilization, uh, as it were, uh, and weeding out some of the weaker uh, operators, we, weeding out some of the people who, uh, uh, who haven't done enough to make the properties attractive. Uh, but overall, I, I, I am guardedly optimistic uh, about the uh, future of the industry. So I, now, think, I mean, that, that assumes that, you're, that you like the industry and you like gaming. Well, we'll yes, we'll get to that later because I am yeah. interested in your opinions about casino gaming and their impact on the community at large. But let's, let's look at the phenomenon that's going on now. From the outside, people say, oh, my goodness, you know, see, casino gambling can't be relied on as an income source because we have three or four of the – uh, formerly strong Atlantic City properties are are closing or are going into bankruptcy. And, in fact, we had a couple of experts on who disputed what I always thought was a given, which is that the gaming industry as a whole is expanding. They said, no, it's been static for the last two or three years. Is that not what you have seen? No, I think, I think that's generally true. And, again, I, I don't want to get into too much legalese. It depends on how you define the industry. Right. Uh, if you're going to define it nationwide, that's true. Uh, if you're going to define it in terms of a particular geographic area where gaming has not been uh, here prior, then it's probably less true. So, for example, if you didn't have any gaming in Pennsylvania, Delaware, uh, New Jersey, West Virginia, Ohio, let's assume that's our region and even New York, you could include that, then obviously we're growing from zero. Now, if you're going to include Las Vegas and all of the other places that have had gaming and look at it on a national basis, then they're probably right. Okay. Well, the question came up with regard to 
Massachusetts. And I realize that Massachusetts is a little bit beyond the edge of your bellywick. But yeah. if you were to be uh, you know, brought in as a consultant based on your industry-wide experience in the Mississippi River and then your corporate experience and your experiences at Temple University and all that, and they said in Massachusetts, so, Professor Ellers, uh, what do you think about the uh, you know, the expansion of casino gaming, full-blown casino gaming in Massachusetts. Do you think it's a, a prudent thing to do, given the overall climate, or would your opinion be that, no, we've reached a saturation point and we're just going to be cannibalizing the casinos that are already here? Well, I actually uh, looked at casino gaming in Massachusetts in 1993 in Springfield. So I'm a little bit familiar with Massachusetts from that uh, aspect. 93? What was going on then? What's that? What was going on then? There was there was legislation being proposed, huh. or being talked about, and we were looking at sites in Springfield at the time, as was Steve Wynn, by the way. Okay. But in any event, if you assume that gaming is something that you want to encourage as a state, and let's make no mistake uh, mistake about this, Ashley, the state is a partner with the casinos. They, they, these are not businesses that run independent of the state. They're regulated by the state. They're taxed disproportionately by the state. The state has sets internal controls, which dictate how the casino is going to run. So the state and the casinos are partners. If you assume that casino gaming is a good thing for the state to encourage on behalf of the citizenry, in Massachusetts, uh, I certainly think that a few casinos, a limited number of casinos, could do very well. If you're going to have unlimited casinos, no. Okay, so the model that Massachusetts has legislatively embraced that is now being challenged by a public referendum is something that you think does make sense, at least if you're in... I think a limited number of casinos makes sense, yes. From an economic standpoint, not from a moral standpoint, not from a, is this something the state should be involved in standpoint. But do I think that, that a limited number of casinos could survive in Massachusetts? Yes. Right, they may hurt the casinos in Connecticut, and they may hurt the charity operations up in New Hampshire, but they themselves... They hurt Rhode Island, too. Well, that's right. Rhode Island has legal casinos. See, I, I focus on places that have poker rooms, but, of course, casino gambling is much, much bigger than the well, little I, tiny I can, prom- I can poker promise rooms. you that, that, that the, uh, 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 the New Hampshire operation, the Rhode Island operation, uh, the, the, you know, there are certainly people uh, from Massachusetts... Uh, who are going to, uh, you know, from Fall River? You know, they're going to they're going to Rhode Island, right? Or they're going to Connecticut. Now, if they had a closer casino to them, would they go there? Maybe. Yeah, I, I think on, on on the operation. Yeah, I think that uh, what they found when they put in Twin Rivers is that it did stop a lot of the flow from that area of New England to even Foxwoods and Mohegan sure. Sun, which have many other things that attract people other than slots, although slots is a major part of their operation. I've, I've, I've said this before, that, that gaming is a convenience-driven uh, recreational activity. Any obstacle you put in front of somebody in getting them to a casino will make it less likely they'll go there. Will they try it once? Of course. Will they drive a little bit to see something new? Yes. But basically, uh, the closest casinos are going to win. And is that what I mean? They're going to win that business. Is that what you saw happened in uh, Iowa and the surrounding states when they gradually legalized riverboat gambling? Did you see that happen there? We saw something a little bit different. Our our issue was was different but analogous. Our issue was that we we had to cruise initially. We had to actually leave the dock. Illinois then passed a, a legislation which allowed the boats to sit at the dock, and of course the minute. It became it was a lot easier when you didn't have to go out and cruise. So, uh, of course, then the Iowa legislature, faced with that, changed their law to be competitive. Uh, the, 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 what you're seeing now in in uh, Tunica, Mississippi, is uh, Harris closing their operation because of competition from uh, the racetracks in Arkansas. Really, yep. the West Memphis racetrack uh, is impacting tunica not not memphis the one in, in hot springs no no west memphis yeah west memphis right the one in arkansas yeah i've played southland oh, yeah. Harris, it's called southland 
Exactly. I think Harris has announced they're going to be closing one of their Tunica casinos. Yes, that I've heard, and they've already. I mean, the poker and showboat and showboat too. Wow. They, I know they've already contracted a lot. That's right. They're, and they may have another property in Atlantic City that will be closing. One. Well, now, having said that, and, and I have a lot of respect for the, for the Harris slash Caesars people. I know a lot of them. They're very good operators. They recognize the reality. They've got a closed showboat in Atlantic City to save their other casinos. There's only so much business, and they're now going to, instead of driving that same business into four casinos, they're going to drive it into three. Okay, we'll be right back after a quick break. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Something exciting is happening in New Jersey. People are cheering in Cherry Hill and cashing in chips, pumping fists in Fort Lee, and flopping full houses. Get the thrill and play on your laptop, tablet, or mobile at BorgataPoker.com. Texas Hold'em, daily tournaments, and -and sit-and-goes. Real money anywhere in New Jersey. The Borgata Hotel and Casino is a name you trust, so you can be sure that BorgataPoker.com is secure. And now with a $25 deposit, you can get a $20 bonus when you sign up for Borgata Poker at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Remember, you must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're listening to the House of Cards. That's a problem when you've written a book about the game. Everybody knows what you're thinking. Or do they? Make it a thousand. Did you even look at your hand? Well, I didn't have to because I saw you look at yours. I'm a fold. Very smart. That's one free lesson. The next one's going to cost you. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Uh, listeners, for those of you who just tuned in, we're talking to Professor Ed Ellers, who's a professor of law at Temple University and uh, someone with a long biography of experience in the gaming and banking industry. Let me ask you a, a philosophical question, if you don't mind me just moving slightly from the more practical sure. and mundane. When you look at the gaming industry or what I always used to call it, the gambling industry as a whole, is there any reason why it should be more restricted and more limited, uh, in your view, than the banking and the insurance industry? Well, again, in in each of those industries, insurance and banking, the, the state is not quite the partner that they are in the gaming industry. The state has a little different interest. The state is simply regulating. In, in, in the case of casinos, the state is sharing in the revenue, on again, on a disproportionate basis. I'll give you an example. The tax on slot machines, slot revenue in Pennsylvania, is 55%. Wow. That's before corporate income tax. That's just the gaming tax. I mean, and, and New York is very similar. And, and many of the new jurisdictions coming on are putting in these kind of taxes, which, which has other consequences. But the state has a much, much more of an interest, financial interest, 
in gaming than it does in banking. They're not taxing banking other than corporate tax. Well, but you can say that about alcohol sales and cigarette sales. They're doing it because they're extorting an undue, at least in my view, an undue amount of money out of an industry that is happy to be able to operate legally at all. And the question, so my question to you is, should the state be able to do that? Should they be able to extort a 55% tax from an industry when in other industries are taxed and regulated in a much more modest way? Is that the right way to treat gambling? other Other than the use of the word extortion, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think that the state basically is saying in exchange for permitting this, in exchange for allowing this activity to continue to, to exist, we're, we want these kind of taxes. Right. And it's, it's a negotiation. It's a trade-off. Do you Every think it's a different tax. From your vast experience of banking and gambling, is it a fair exchange? I mean, is there a reason ethically, deeply, profoundly why gambling should be treated so much differently from other things that rely on an assessment of risk and benefit to the person that's involved? Well, I think historically, gaming has a very different history than banking and insurance. And, and I mean, there's a, there is no question that at one point, <clears throat> gambling was essentially a, a, not only an illegal activity, uh, but a mob-controlled activity, going back into the 50s. Well, I mean, because it was illegal, it was mob-controlled, right? Uh, we could debate that. <laughs> but, it, but whatever the reason is, it was mob-controlled. And <clears throat> so... Uh, as as Wall Street took over gaming, and there's a Michael Anastasia wrote a wonderful book, how Wall Street took control of the gaming industry. Uh, all of the most of the companies now in the gaming industry, the big players are public companies. So uh, the states are essentially st- saying this, uh, and and the Supreme Court has always treated gambling very differently than it has any other activities, because of the propensity for uh, scandal because of what perceived moral issues uh, and whatever it is. So the Supreme Court has always said that, that they're not going to apply constitutional principles the same way in the context uh, of gaming as they do in other industries. That's historical. So the states, I think, playing on that uh, have a certain uh, leeway in, uh, as you would say, extorting, or as I would say, negotiating. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, uh, uh, contracts. Gaming is viewed differently uh, legally and and perceptionally, very different than other industries. It sure is. Uh, just yep. your your opinion. Should it be? Uh, I, I think today, prob- I think we're moving probably away from that. But I think there's historical justification for it. Okay. Talk to me in ten or twenty years. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be the same. Okay, I think you're probably right, and I think there's a lot more ore to be mined in this discussion. I just want to move. We have a minute or two left. Oh, what do you see as far as the future of gambling in New Jersey? Do you think it will expand to areas outside of Atlantic City? Do you think they will end up uh, getting around the federal prohibition against sports betting? Do you think the online stuff will really resurrect the gaming industry that has declined in New Jersey, what do you think? What's your prognosis for the next take, year or take, two? Let's take, let's take your, first, uh, your, your first. Okay. I think it is 60-40 that there will be a casino in the Meadowlands. I like those odds. Okay. Pressure from New York. There are people in North Jersey who will be going not only to the Yonkers casinos, but some of the Orange County casinos that, that are going to come online. Mm. I mean, not online, but be built. And uh, so I think that's fairly likely. I think the chances of having a casino in Camden are five ninety-five. Okay, for all kinds of reasons. I like people that give odds. This is good. Okay. So I, I, I think that's that. There's a lot of momentum right now for that. Not a certainty, but there's there's momentum. Your second question is about sports betting. Yes, <clears throat> uh, I don't see sports betting in the near term. That's going to depend on a constitutional challenge uh, to what is known as POSPA, the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. Uh, Ironically, New Jersey had the opportunity, uh, when that law was passed in 1992, to uh, adopt sports betting. They would have been grandfathered, and they declined to do it, so they're paying the consequence for that now. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's going to happen. Online gaming... Uh, is already in New Jersey. Governor Christie predicted a billion two of, of revenue. 
he'll be lucky to get 200 to 250 million. Why? Because it's only intrastate. You have to physically be in New Jersey to participate in New Jersey online gaming. Number two, under federal law, online gaming, while it's not banned per se, is what they've done is they've taken the ability of credit card companies to process the transactions away from them. So it's now not legal for banks to process those transactions. And they're not doing it. And that's why they're not getting the growth, because people can't use the credit cards. It gets back to convenience again. Right. It's if more people difficult. can't go online and use the MasterCard or the American Express, and they've got to make deposits offshore, they've got to go down to Atlantic City and deposit money in a bank, they're not going to do that. So if you were a bookie right now, you'd be giving three to two odds uh, in favor of Meadowlands becoming a, a casino in New Jersey. You'd lay a 19 to one against Camden getting it. You think right. there's a 0% chance you're going to give 100 to one odds. Or I would better. never give zero on anything. All right, 100 to one for sports betting uh, catching on. And you would point out that Internet is about 20% successful if success is gauged by what the predictions were, and you would base that on the problems that there have been, or not the problems, yeah. but the obstacles of getting your yeah. money into the online poker because of the UIGEA and other hurdles of having Correct. to be interesting. Yeah, Very I, interesting. I think, on, I think the online problems will get, will, will, will get better for the operators as time goes on, but right now it's, it's, it's not going to be the panacea that uh, they expected. Well, Ed, you've been a wonderful guest. I would be interested in having you on further on down the road to talk about Massachusetts gaming and also uh, what's going on in other parts of the country as well. But thank you very much for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. All right. Ed Ellers, professor of law at Temple University, thanks again. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with another guest. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Need to sell your house fast? We're homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. You've seen our big yellow billboards with our caveman Ugg, but did you know that Homevestors is America's number one home buyer? At Homevestors, we can buy your house as is, pay you cash, and usually pay most of the closing costs, and we close fast. Call today for your no-obligation consultation and get out of that ugly real estate situation. If your house needs repairs, you're ready to downsize, tired of renters and those rental property repairs, retiring, experiencing a job transfer, inherited a property, or just need to sell your house fast, do what thousands of satisfied Homevestor customers have done. Call Homevestors today for a no-obligation consultation at 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. We'll close fast and pay cash. So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. Make your game night the envy of all your friends and family. Play on a one-of-a-kind table. Play on a pro-caliber poker table. Pro-caliber tables are made with the highest quality gaming suede on the market. And with their Table Builder app, customers can create a table to accommodate any game. Select one of the in-stock designs from their site or imprint your own. And now, you can get a free 600-count coin inlay chipset when you purchase a ProCaliber poker table. Here's how. Use offer code H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O, that's H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O, when you check out at ProCaliber.com or when ordering by phone at 24025-POKER. 24025-POKER. That's 24027 6537. Pro Caliber Poker Tables. Stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for. Hey, this is Dave Weishadol from House of Cards with your House of Cards Gaming Report for the week of August 25th, 2014. 
The Pennsylvania Supreme Court has set aside a mandatory $75,000 fine imposed against a poker dealer from the Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh after he was convicted of stealing $200 worth of poker chips from the casino. Matthew Eisenberg pleaded guilty in July 2011 of the theft and was ordered to pay the fine. However, the high court ruled the fine was excessive since Eisenberg had no prior record and there was no grand scheme to defraud the casino or its patrons. If the iPay Nation had its way, California would have online gaming within the next couple weeks. The tribe located near San Diego feels that under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, it has the right to offer online games. The tribe criticized the proposed California Internet gaming legislation, feeling it benefits only the richest tribes. And finally, this has been an awful ending to an awful month for the Revel Casino in Atlantic City. Not only is the casino closing September 2nd, now over $20,000 went missing after an armored car pickup last week. Security cameras, however, told the story. When the employees of the Garda World Armored Car Services were loading the truck, an employee placed the bag over the driver's side roof to load the other bags. And, yep, you guessed it, drove away with the bag still on the roof. I did that once with a cup of coffee, but never with a bag full of cash. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Card player, gambler, scoundrel, you'd like him. Hello, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, and just as promised, we are incredibly fortunate to have one of the true greats of the poker universe. We have World Series of Poker main event champion and recent Hall of Fame of Poker inductee Tom McAvoy. Tom, are you there? I'm there, and good to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. You're actually a returning guest. I think you were on our show in the first year when we were just on the Internet. That was uh, like six years ago. A lot has happened in the yep. poker world since then. Tell us about your Hall of Fame induction. It's a, an event long and coming. What was that like for you? Well, this is something that um, I consider the the highest honor a person can achieve in the poker world next to winning the main event itself. And to have done both, as did my fellow inductee, Scotty Wynn, it was just uh, really incredible uh, I've been wanting this for a long time, and I guess it makes it all a little sweeter when I finally did get in. <laughs> and I'm sure Scotty felt the same way. Well, so I it's certainly, it's certainly the highlight of my poker career next to one of them made that. I got to just say, uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I, I can't tell you how many people I have spoken to and met in the poker world who credit you with their success as poker players, uh, just modeling themselves after you, having been coached by you, having read the stuff that you've written. I don't know if our po- if our listeners know. Can you tell our listeners some of the stuff you've done other than win the main event as far as books you've written and other tournaments that you've won? Oh, yeah, for sure. I've, I've been teaching poker for on or off for 30 years now, doing both private teaching and public seminars, and I still do that. In fact, uh, I, I kind of kid some of my students who've gotten good results. I think I'm a better coach than I am a player these days. And some of my students have uh, had remarkable success. Although I never guarantee that any of them will ever win a you know, World Series event or a major tournament. But the fact is, two of them do have bracelets, and two others came in third in the seniors event of all things. So I have had some uh, success with some of my students, although I can't ever guarantee it. But I do make one guarantee when I work with them, and that is uh, after I'm done teaching them, they will be a better player. And that's one guarantee I can always live up to. Now, how does how does a player who wants to take lessons from the great Tom McAvoy actually go about doing that? How do they, how do they contact you and set up lessons, and what do they cost? I'm just curious. Uh, I've been charging $100 an hour. Uh, some of the uh, public seminars that I teach, I don't have control on the prices. So it's whatever the uh, whoever in charge charges, like I do some of the WSOP uh, camps, and I've done others. Um, so, and I have no, uh, you know, 
no influence on the, the price of those. But my own personal lessons are 100 per hour, and I I can do them over the phone, or I it's always better to do them in person, obviously, and I do them in a variety of ways. I teach all games. Not everybody wants uh, No Limit Hold'em, but that's the most popular game, so I teach more of that. And some people want cash games, some want tournaments, some, some want both. I, I do it all. I play all games, and I teach all games. So how does somebody contact you and actually uh, contract with you for some lessons? I do it. Okay. Well, I, I either can give out my, my cell phone over the air. Sure, whatever you want. I'll, I'll do it. Uh, I'll give you my cell phone number, and I also have my um, uh, email address. So Great. My cell, cell phone, which I accept my calls and so forth, is uh, area code 702-810-5939. And my email address is my name, Tom, T-O-M, McAvoy, M-C-E-V-O-Y, at Cox, C-O-X, dot net. Terrific. So it's it's uh, Tom McAvoy at COX.net, and then you gave out your phone number. We'll um, we'll put them up on our site so that uh, people can know. Now, when you teach, what do you focus on? I mean, do you, do you just ask questions of what people want to learn, or do you have a set kind of curriculum for each game, or do you take them to a poker room if they're there and watch them? Well, how do you go about it? All of the above. <laughs> the first thing I do is I ask uh, – new students in particular, please prepare a list of questions that they would like to discuss or hands they're not sure of or just any poker-related uh, questions that might pop into their mind. Heck, sometimes I'll, I'll teach students and they'll, they'll have a little bit of poker questions they want answered, and then they just want to hear stories about personalities and people I've played over the years, uh, whatever, their nickel <laughs> Be happy to accommodate, but I I do I tailor each lesson uh, individually to the student's needs. In other words, I tell the student, "You tell me what you want, and then I'll provide to the best of my ability." Um, gotcha. Whatever expertise I have in that area. I gotcha. But uh, I'm interested in the folks that will pay you to tell them stories. Can you give us a story or two about some of the? poker games you've been in or some of the players you've played against that our listeners can experience vicariously and not have to pay for? <laughs> Where do you begin? I, I have um, played with every single main event champion through Joe Cato. I haven't played in the last four-year champions. And I just haven't had the opportunity yet. Uh, with the exception of Hal Fowler, and he was the only amateur, true amateur, to ever win the main event. And then he he quit playing the very next year and uh, disappeared and then passed away. So I never got a chance to play him. But I have played every main event champion and practically every main player you can think of at one time or another, uh, usually in a tournament format. And um, I've seen all kinds of <laughs> weird Situation. Tell us about playing against Johnny Moss. Well, he was something. Now, if you want to call talk about being a grumpy old man, and Johnny Moss in his uh, later years was just that. He was a grumpy old man. But I always liked him, and I always got along with him. Uh, the fact that I had also was a main event champion like he was, that kind of created a little bond between them. But... Uh, he fell in love with the Omaha high-low split, which was never his best game, and that was a game that was fairly new at the time he started playing it. And uh, he didn't do so good in it. It was played a limit. So he wound up not doing so great towards the end. But in his heyday, and he was 68 years old, and he still won the main event one year when he was 68, even though it was a smaller field, it was still a very tough field. Uh, the guy was... Without a doubt, in his heyday, the premier player in the world. I mean, he was he was unbelievable. This guy, he, he just had an instincts like you wouldn't believe. This guy did not have a, a lot of formal education, but he was uh, just fantastic with his 
ability to read people and to kind of get into their heads and know what they were doing. And believe it or not, even though he could barely add two and two and come up with four, the math part he was just instinctive with. I mean, I know this because I played with him many times, and uh, he was he was phenomenal. So even when he was past his prime, he was still one heck of a player. What about um, a more recent but still in the past player that people think they know a lot about? What about playing with Stewie Unger? He was a phenomenal individual. He, he To me, Stewie Unger was like a meteor that streaked through the sky, burned out quickly, and crashed and destroyed himself. Now, everybody knows that knew Stewie at all, knowing he had a severe uh, drug problem. When he wasn't messed up with drugs, unfortunately, most of the time he was, but when he wasn't, when he was halfway straight, there wasn't a better player alive. And when he first started out his career, he jumped right into the biggest games against the toughest players. I know, because I was there. When he first came to Las Vegas in 1980, I had already moved to Las Vegas. And um, he was, the card stud was still the main game for big cash side action at the time. He started right out playing the toughest players and beating them. And then, of course, he right out his first two years that he entered the main event of the World Series. He won both times, including a victory over Doyle Brunson, which was pretty impressive since Doyle's record the main event speaks for itself. So he he was just phenomenal. But he was the most self-destructive Poker player I ever met. He just he just totally destroyed himself. He was dead at forty five. He was so messed up with drugs after he won his third championship in nineteen ninety eight. He had a room at the horseshoe and couldn't come down to defend his title. I mean, he he wanted his. I'm talking about in nineteen ninety eight. He couldn't come down to defend his title. He had just won the previous year, nineteen ninety seven. So in nineteen ninety eight. He was so messed up with drugs, he couldn't come down to defend his title, and he was given a, a total free roll, like a 60% free roll. It was, just, it was very, very sad, and of course, a few months later, he was dead, and drugs killed him. Right. So dead at 45, a genius. Uh, this guy, I don't think he had, I don't even know if he finished school or not, but he, he, he was the most unbelievable card player you ever met. He would pick up a hand of, and played gin, you know, where he just dealt 10 cards. He would pick up a gin hand and never touch one single card in, or, or place them in a sequence like most gin players do, myself included, I might add. The whole hand. And within about four picks from the deck, he almost always knew almost exactly what his opponent held and what to do about it. He was just virtually unbeatable in gin. He was just phenomenal. The poker wasn't even his best game, and you know he won the main event three times and a couple other World Series events and numerous other uh, main events. He played 30 tournaments lifetime with a $10,000 buy-in, and get this, he won came in first, 10 of them. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this, Tom. You've seen the liveest player in the game. You've seen a lot of. I mean, this is an understatement, if ever there were one. You've seen a lot of different poker players. You know a lot about what it takes to become good. You've helped people become better. You yourself have experienced all sorts of things in the poker world. What was there about him that made him so incredibly successful? I mean, to win. 33 and a third percent of all the $10,000 events you've entered is freaky, incredibly uh, positive, even if you were only playing with 10-person fields. And a lot of those fields were into the hundreds, if not thousands. What what made him so incredible? He had, um, one thing, he had a photographic memory. Uh, and that included players he may have played before. He was phenomenal. If he played you once, he always logged in everything you ever did. He was able to so get into the heads of even the best players and, and use psychology against them. It was 
amazing. When he was on and not messed up, there was just no stopping him. This, this guy was just unbeatable. And he was the master of what is one of the hardest plays in Nolan that holds, the three-barrel bluff, knowing when to fire that third barrel. Sometimes, you know, you'll bet the flop, you know, or even the turn card without having a hand, but, but to, to, to fire a third time at the river with nothing, you got to really <laughs> have the balls to do it and uh, pick the right opponent. He's a master at that. He was just incredible. And, of course, he knew when to slow play. He was capable of making laydowns if he had to. Uh, he, he was just something else. I mean, a guy like him comes along literally uh, like once in a lifetime. Mm. And uh, there's no, no matter how talented the current group of players are, and there are some very talented players, include Phil Ivey, you know, of course, in that group, um, None of them were as good as Stu Unger was in Unger's heyday, in his prime when he wasn't on drugs. None of them could touch him. All right, I want to switch gears a little. This for listeners who just tuned in. We are talking to the great Tom McAvoy, winner of the World Series of Poker main event and a, the most recent inductee, along with Scotty Wynn, in the Poker Hall of Fame. What are you doing these days at the tables? Are you playing home games? Are you doing cash games? Are you playing games other than Hold'em? What's your playing situation these days? Well, I always have played all the games, not just Hold'em. But um, actually, since I got inducted a month ago into the Hall of Fame, I kind of just took some downtime. I've been spending a lot of time at home with my family and my dog, <laughs> who I am uh, madly in love with and who loves me too. And we <laughs> you know, spend a lot of time together. But actually, uh, I play in three private leagues. Two of them are in a casino, one's in a private home, which technically, I don't know, probably borderline legal. We don't charge a rake or anything. Uh, and the, the winners of the leagues get World Series of Poker seats. And I run one of the leagues at the Stratosphere in Las Vegas. In fact, we have to play this coming Thursday night. We meet once, once a month. For 11 months, and then the winner, the overall winner gets a $10,000 main event seat, and second gets 5000 in buy-ins, third, 2500 and fourth, $1,500. So only 11 players in our league. And you're one so of I them? I play another league. Pardon? You're, well, yeah, of course you're... I won them. Two years <laughs> well... ago, I won the league. I didn't I didn't run it two years ago, uh, and I, uh, I did win the main event seat. Last year, I ran the league and came in second, so I got 5000 Then I got everybody to agree to uh, let me raise the other five and play representing our league. Because there's a little catch. Here's the catch. The other league members each get 5% of the action of the winner ah. in whatever event they play. So everybody has a vested interest. That also prevents people from quitting. You know, they don't have a chance to win themselves because they will have a vested interest in whoever does win the various seats. So you pay, just so I'm clear, the league is once a month. You um, have 11 months. You have 11 players. Yeah, we actually double up in in the month of May. We, we We do 11 sessions, but we do a double session in May. So that the World Series starts very tail end of May, so the league is done by mid-May. And then the World Series runs in June and July, but we don't do any leagues in June and July, but we start up again in August. And I actually got, like, a waiting list. Um, so, and I do have turnovers. So every, time, every, every year, like, a couple of players drop out, and I have people, you know, Asking me if, if they can, uh, you know, replace some of them. Sure. Stuff. Do you have anybody who doesn't live in Las Vegas and who just travels into town just to play in these league games? Yeah, I got uh, one guy lives in uh, the Phoenix area. <laughs> and we here's what we did for this guy. I told you one of the the three leagues is at a private house, and it's a horse league where we play in uh, the horse games. Yes. And we we piggybacked it so that. The horse league is on Wednesday night, 
the first Wednesday of the month, and then my league is the first Thursday of the month. So the same guy comes in and plays in both, only has to make one trip. <laughs> so we, we do that. Uh, but he's the only one that's, like, uh, not living in Las Vegas. I see. This time around. That's great. That's great. And uh, so one's a horse league, the other two are no-limit hold'em leagues? Yeah, the other two, I don't run the other one. Two of them are at the Stratosphere, and I said the horse league, the two no-limit leagues are at the Stratosphere, and I, I'm in contention for a seat, but not for a main event seat in the uh, second one. Gotcha. And the one in the league that I won, I'm in uh, third place right now. We do a point system uh with 11 players, whoever wins a given month gets 11 points, second 10, third 9, all the way down to one point for 11th. So whoever has the most points at the end of the year wins. There's only a, This is how tough this league is. The top five players, there's only a two-point difference between <laughs> first and fifth. Wow. Um, all right, now I'm third, two points out of first. So it's a real battle. Any other players, players, any other the players in the league, people that you have taught? Or any other names that we might know? Well, let's see. Names you might know. Most of them are local vegans who play a lot of poker, but aren't, uh, other than maybe Kenna James, I guess you've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, he plays in our league. Uh, Most of them, uh, a lot of them are professional players, too, but they're, they're not big tournament names, you know, that are familiar to the general public. Wow. Well, I wish I lived in Las Vegas. I would love to get on the waiting list for one of those leagues so that we could play, and uh, I think that would be fun and possibly uh, remunerative, given the fact that I'd get a 5% share of whoever won and got to play in the main event. That would be terrific. Tom, I would love to talk to you longer. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to ask you, any projects, anything you're thinking of working on now that you're inducted into the Hall of Fame? You've already won a main event. Uh, are there any other poker ladders to le- left to climb that you, uh, you're you looking to do over the next few years? Two things. Uh, I'm doing an e-book right now. The first time I've ever done an e-book will be out sometime next year. And it's more of a, a poker and life philosophy book than a strategy book. And uh you know, like most poker books are real technical and they're textbooks. This isn't like that at all. So um, I've written most of it and still got to do a little bit of work. So that's the first e-book I've ever uh, attempted. And um, I would love to be hooked up uh, with another online site. Since Black Friday, you know, my, I was the, the very first team pro for Poker Stars, and Chris Moneymaker became the second one. I would have loved to... Uh, you know, to go back to Poker Stars, but that's not going to happen, I guess, for the immediate future until such time maybe as they get back in the United States, maybe not then. But I would love to be hooked up again, you know, with a online site, a legal one, of course. Right, of course, of course. Well, I hope that does happen, and I hope it happens sooner rather than later because that means we'll be playing on Poker Stars sooner rather than later, which uh, I am eager to do again. What a great site that was. Uh, The best. Right, and they, to me, Poker Stars was the true heroes of Black Friday because they paid everybody immediately, and they, when they took over full tilt, they tried to pay everybody that was owed money in full tilt. The only thing prevented them was our good old U.S. government, who uh, we won't. I don't even tell you how stupid I think they are, but they're plenty stupid. <laughs> a, a topic for another day, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Tom, thank you for sharing your cell phone and email information for our listeners. Uh, we're going to go, but I'm looking forward to having you coming back on when you have your ebook out. All right, anytime. All right. Take care and so long, everybody. Thank you, Tom. The great Tom McAvoy, Hall of Fame inductee and World Series of Poker main event winner. Listeners, we're going to be uh, taking a quick break, then we'll be right back. Hi, this is Dave from House of Cards. You know, I love fantasy football, and when I decided to check out these new weekly leagues, I chose FanDuel.com, the leader in one-week fantasy football leagues for real money. FanDuel has more players and pays out more cash than all the other one-week fantasy sites combined. No season-long commitment, no upfront fees. 
You draft a whole new team each week. And now when you sign up today using the code HOC, they'll even match your first deposit dollar for dollar up to $200. FanDuel is paying out more than $400 million this year, but you have to play to win, so sign up and draft the team today. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner using my code HOC. The first 50 people that sign up today using my code HOC will get their first deposit matched dollar for dollar up to $200. That's up to $200 free. FanDuel.com, where every week is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players. Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BABE16 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code BABE16. That's B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Here's the wonderful Joan Rivers with her thoughts on poker players. And your people, you give money with blood on it. I met your people in Vegas for 40 years. None of them have last names. None of them. They have cash pulls. You're a poker player. A poker player. That's That's beyond white trash. Poker players are the most awesome people in the world. Poker players are trash, darling. Trash. House of Cards, proudly serving your white trash needs since 2007. Welcome back, listeners. This is House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. And before we end, I just want to remind all our listeners that we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, about maybe guests that you'd like us to have on. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. We're very interested in them. We'll put them on the air and answer them here. So that will do it for the show. Come back next week for more House of Cards. Good night and good luck.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.